Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Wednesday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre-owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Loaded show for today. Starting off at 335, Raven Sample from Bucknell Track and Field is going to join us, and he is now a Paralympian and will be representing Team USA in the 400 late August in Tokyo. So really excited to have him aboard with us today. We mentioned it once before over on the news side of things when it first got announced a couple of weeks ago, but we were able to finally get him on with us here today. So we'll have him join us at 3.35 today. And it's a really cool story with him and how he was able to climb up the ladder and, and get to the point that he is at right now in his career. So looking forward to having him join us at 3.35 today. One of two Bucknell athletes heading to Tokyo. So really excited about that. Then at 4.06, we got former ESPN college football insider Phil Steele, of course, has his big preview each and every year. Always updates it constantly. Always good info from him. And he'll join us at 4.06 today. What is he going to think about Penn State's chances this year? I'm very, very curious to hear that from him. So we'll hear that at 4.06 today. Because honestly, when it comes to me, I want to say that Penn State is better. I think they should be better considering the talent they had last year and they underachieved greatly. I liked how they ended last year. But... I think there's still a lot of question marks you have to see. What Are you, you going to see consistency from Sean Clifford? Of course, we talked about that ad nauseum all offseason long. What are you going to see from other young other young guys on the offense? You know, defensively, I think they should be strong. So it, the potential is there. I think so. Good enough to beat Ohio State? No. But good enough to, I think, compete. But after what I saw last year, I it, 
it's kind of hard to say. So I, I think the potential's there, but I'm not quite there th- just yet. But we'll see what Phil has to say at 4.06 today as we're not that far away from the start of the season. We're creeping up to the middle of July already, so we're looking forward to that. NFL training camps, of course, start in, in a couple weeks. And speaking of that, Jerry Dulack will join us tomorrow. Probably getting a little Steelers with him and also to re- preview the Open. Yes, the Open Championship, which I'm going to ask Jerry about how Arnie saved it. I mean, the Open was going to be played no matter what. Arnie saved the perception of it. He got the American player to go over in the 60s. He won it. He brought excitement to it. The Open Championship in this country was, eh, whatever. Players like, eh, I'm not going to go over. Yeah. And Arnie saved it. I'm going to talk to Jerry about that, then get into this year's deal. Fair enough? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, the All-Star Game. First of all, yesterday was National French Friday. Oh, yes. Did you enjoy your time out last night? So I went out Tom McGrath, Gary, Amy, and young Jack Goloszewski. We went out to the field last night here in State College. Got the table of fries. Phenomenal. Now, the company was phenomenal. I mean, just some of the greatest people to be around without question. They're just awesome people. Great friends. Great friends. And uh, so that part was fun. But, uh, yeah, the fries were phenomenal last night. Really enjoyed it. Your home run derby. Now, I watched, I would say, five, six minutes total of it in bits and pieces. People watched it. The NBA final between the Bucks and the Suns drew 9.6 million viewers. You know what the home run derby drew? Seven million on cable. There you Remember, go. Remember, the NBA finals are aren't over the air. No, I mean it's not. There you go. It's like that's good. I mean, baseball had a good week, by the way. I mean, baseball did have a good week. Let's let's be honest. The draft was actually well viewed. Greg Amsinger and Greg's a great guy. Uh, yes, Greg he is. I've met him times. too. Uh, Greg is because uh, he's done some uh, BTN stuff. Okay, basketball. So I've had a chance to really talk to Greg. You know, shoot. That's one thing about shoot arounds. You know, shoot arounds. You can have a lot of long conversations with people. You know, Joe Davis. You know, everybody. Um, Greg Amster. Greg's a great guy. Uh, great voice, too. But he did a great job of hosting the draft. The draft drew very good ratings. The home run derby drew very drew phenomenal ratings, to be honest with you. Phenomenal ratings. Seven million is great. Yeah, that's not a good rating. That's a great rating. Okay? And now we don't know what the rating for the game itself was last night. And let's be honest. Uh, Rob Manfred, I think, had himself a very good week. Again, I've said this a million times on this show. And when you are going to sit there and be critical of something or someone, you have to have the ability to praise them. And the reason is this, that when you do get around to having a complaint or being negative about something, 
you are coming at it from a, a perspective of of balance. That when they do something right, you're one of the first people to chime in and say, hey, man, they did a great job. That was great. Then when you do criticize them, because you're balanced, you're not just being critical for, for criticism's sake. Memo to the corner office. S-U-I-T. No. That spells Suta. That's our guy. Yeah. And Rob Manfred, I thought, gave a great account of himself the entire time. Now, you can argue about how, you know, you can argue about his explanation of moving from Atlanta to Denver. That's fine. That's I mean, that's going to stay out of this show. I don't really need to get into that. That's something that's, you know, water under the bridge. But he's talking about where baseball is right now. He's talking about the young stars in the game, of which there is a plethora of them. He was talking about... Um, taking baseball back to its roots. In other words, no more seven-inning doubleheaders. If you're going to play a doubleheader, it's going to be nine innings each way. He talked about extra innings, no more runner on second starting next year. They want to bring it back to, hey, look, you're going to have to uh, uh, Um, I think that um, I think he gave a good account of himself. And when it came to the labor negotiations, uh, Tony Clark, by the way, also had himself a good press conference. But the bottom line is, is that when the World Series is over, the only story in baseball that is going to be of any importance at all will be the contract negotiations labor-wise between the players and the owners. And the ability of each to keep their perspective from being leaked and put out there as a story. You will not see, I would venture to say, you probably won't see any free agent moves after the World Series because I think all everybody will be waiting to see what the new contract looks like. But that will be the next big story in the sport. But I would say this. I think Major League Baseball had itself a really good three days and the uh, home run derby most watched home run derby since 2017 with 7.1 million viewers across ESPN and ESPN2 up 13% and 19% from 19 and 18 respectively that's tremendous that is awesome So that worked out really, really well. Then I know you were you were hanging on every swing. Overall, yes. While a sad commentary in your life, so there were others who joined you. <laughs> well, it's hard to be hanging on every pitch or down or anything like that with two young kids at home, but I make it work. I do miss a few things here and there, but I catch up. Lisa, <laughs> watch the kids. I'm watching the home run derby. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, not really. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. But it shows you how much trouble the NBA's having right now. That the um that the home run derby is close to the same neighborhood as the finals. I know you're, you know, again, don't be fooled at all by um, don't be fooled at all by the publicity department even though what they're saying is factual. Okay, it's factual. Okay, so I don't want to say that it's what they're saying is is not a lie. Right? They're, they're, that's not what they're saying. When they tell you the ratings are higher than the um, uh, when they tell you the ratings are higher than 2020, they are absolutely right. They're absolutely right. The but the pre-pandemic numbers. Okay, now look, the NBA is happy they're getting more people than they did last fall. No getting around it, because last year was a ratings disaster. So the first three games with the Bucks and the Suns averaging 9 million viewers, that's 33% higher than last fall. So that's great, right? Okay. The first three games of 2021 compared to the first three games of 2019 – 4.63 million fewer viewers down 34%. And remember, you want to make it worse? You want to make it worse? Remember, Toronto is not a rated market. It's not in the United States. So you didn't even have the bump of the local market to your Nielsen ratings. Total viewership for the first three games in 2019 was 40.8 million. This year, 26.95. Last year, they're saying it's all about the pandemic, the time of the year, the whole thing. Guess what? We weren't going out last year. Yet people decided to watch Netflix instead of the NBA Finals. The ratings for the markets in Milwaukee and Phoenix, however, spectacular. Game 3 at a 27-2 in Milwaukee. 23-1 in Phoenix, known to the suit as Pahonics. Kind of sad. Game 4 is tonight at 9 o'clock. But that's how far off they are. 
They are down 34% with no home market. Remember, Toronto was the other team. Their market doesn't count. Think about that. Matt was saying fresh blood would make a big difference. I said, I said they're in trouble. Matt? Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Matt? Well, it, it kind of has blood. sort of, but again, we're talking kinda about bottom of the of barrel what? here. You're way out. No, but the bottom line is this NBA Finals, which includes two small market teams, you've got some names, but it's not LeBron and Jimmy Butler, and it's not the front runner franchises like the Lakers and Heat last year. Jimmy, Bu- Jimmy Butler doesn't draw anybody. But the problem, but, but, the, but the point is, Jimmy Jimmy Butler is a terrific player, but to the casual fans, just another guy. But the point is, you had LeBron, Lakers, Heat, exactly. all involved, yeah. and yeah. they didn't, and they did significantly worse in the ratings than this NBA Finals, which has two lower teams in the and t- lower market teams, and you have a couple of play, and you have some stars, but they're not as big as LeBron. And that's doing better. Matt, you only had one rated market in 2019. San Francisco, Oakland. Toronto, okay, there was no home market for the other team. But let's face it, I, I if, we're, if, if the NBA's been in this bad a shape, it doesn't matter that Toronto wasn't involved in that because it's the rating still I don't think would have made that big a difference. No, but that's not my point. My point is the rating would have been higher. <laughs> but by 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 how much is my words, point? Not but not, um, not by much, I don't think. Oh, I don't know. It's wrong. First of all, Toronto's a big city. All right. So you're talking about you I mean, you could tack on, on another million viewers. But in terms of the US, I, I don't think so. I don't think it would really would have made if that Toronto, big a difference. If, yes, it would have. Toronto's if Toronto's in the United States, it would have tacked on another ratings point. I mean, you may be essentially down forty percent from two years ago. Forty percent. You're down thirty four percent now. You may be down over forty percent if you'd had the other home market in there. I mean, this is being boosted with Milwaukee with a twenty seven. Imagine if the opposing city had a 27 in 2019. The 20 they had 27 in Toronto in 2019, but it didn't count toward the ratings. This rating is with with one team in the United States having a rated market. In other words, this is even worse than than even the numbers portray. This is worse. This is the second lowest rated NBA final ever, beating out last year. They've got problems, and the problems, and the problems extend. Right, the problems extend deeper than people realize. That's my point. I mean, the 2019 Nielsen figure is pounding current numbers, and that includes not having one team's market included. Wow. I mean, again, 
Milwaukee had a 27-2. Okay? Phoenix had a 23-1. All right, so let's take the worst-case scenario. What if Toronto gets a 23-1 in there in the United States? What does that do to the rating? Kicks it way up. So they're essentially down over 40% from two years ago. 40% is a gigantic drop. The gigantic drop. But as Matt said, they've got fresh blood. In other words, what's happening right now is what we predicted years ago would happen. I wanted to see how popular is the league if they don't have the megastar or the mega team in it. And we're seeing now, people are watching, but they've lost casual fans across the board. They've lost millions of casual fans. They've lost at least, I'd say they've lost almost 6 million fans watching from two years ago. That's a gigantic number. And you know what and you know what they're now doing? Based on our research, I guess now they're listening to Shikalemi football. <laughs> Didn't you get the note? I must not have. Suit sent it out. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Best in new inventory. Great pre-owned inventory. It is all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street and Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. All right. The Olympics will start a week from Friday. Uh, Matt will be sitting there with the suit watching people walk around in a circle. That's the opening ceremony. Now, on the surface, does it sound like I'm a hater? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Awful, you would say that about me. Awful. <laughs> um, then they'll actually start playing. On August 27th, the Paralympic Games take place in Tokyo. And Bucknell's own Raven Semple, who just finished his freshman year, is going to be on the U.S. team in the 400. And earlier today, I had the privilege of talking with him. 
And we welcome everyone back and joined now by Raven Sample, who is a member of the track and field team for the United States Paralympic track and field team. Raven, welcome to the show. Congratulations on a great accomplishment. Thank you very much. All right. Now, this is going to take place, obviously, in Tokyo. So what have they told you? What do you have to do now to make sure that you're able to go? Uh, What are the protocols that they put forward for you? So I'm not entirely sure about the protocols. I've heard a little bit, um, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, more so of how long it's going to be taking. Um, so I was at a camp in Chua Vista uh, to train last week, and they were talking about how some of the able-bodied Olympians were at the airports, and it's taking them about five to six hours just to get out of the airport due to all the COVID protocols and making sure they're tested correctly and all of that. Amazing. Uh, all right, so now you're at, at the trials. At the trials in the 400, what was the feeling like when you crossed and you knew you made it? For me, it was just because going into the race, I knew that if I had won, I would probably be in a pretty good spot. Um, certainly, I needed to also run a good time, but I knew that through winning would be you know putting me up for that good spot. And at that moment, it felt like all the work was over. And truly, the next week when we got our decision date on uh, the Thursday uh, following the end of trials, um, you know, before that happened even, like, I knew that there was no reason to be stressed about this meeting. Like, all the work had been done during trials. And it was the same thing after the race. All the work had been done in the past 50 seconds. Like, I couldn't change anything now. It was just I have to wait and see now. Well, in Minneapolis, you ran 50.34, which is just off your Bucknell best. Back on uh-huh. the 27th in that tri-meet, you ran 50.29. Could you just tell as you were going along that you were on a pace that was pretty close to your best? I certainly felt like it was a good race. Um, certainly there were some parts where I, I, you know, I, w- I want to fix up a little bit uh, going into Tokyo. Certainly the beginning and the end. The beginning, I just didn't get out of my blocks. Like, it just didn't click in that moment. Uh, certainly, it was probably a lot of nerves going on, a little bit nervous about the race, and just didn't immediately just, I got to go. Uh, so that took about 30 meters to finally realize I got to race and I got to go fast. And then the last 50 meters, you know, I was tying up a little bit, and then it will work there and get to get a stronger finish. And I certainly see myself going under my Bucknell PR. But, you know, during the race, it felt good. Uh, it felt like I was I was racing. So, and that was something that, you know, it's been kind of hard sometimes because, you know, you're, there's either, you know, the competition's a little bit high, a little bit low, or like the meet's not the greatest day, but that's something that you go through with the sport. Uh, but that day, the weather was great, the competition was great, and everything just felt in line like it was a good race. What did this past season mean to you at Bucknell, especially to get back out on the track? So, after the long COVID break and everything, <laughs> it, it felt so amazing to finally be doing the sport I love again. Um, certainly I love training and, you know, I wouldn't trade the world for even having the ability to just go out and practice every day, but the, a meet is just so different. Like, it's kind of that's where you're able to, like, you know, really, you know, you've seen, I've seen quotes like Usain Bolt, you know, he said, I've spent years to run nine seconds. You know, that's truly how track and field works. The back end work is spent so much in this, you know, practice time and, you know, you do so much behind the scenes that the meets are really your greatest opportunity to show what you've been working on. And, you know, having that back was just, it felt perfect. 
Uh, you mentioned what you want to work on between now and then. Um, so you want to get out of the blocks quicker. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you feel you can make up, uh, I don't know, how many hundreds you can make up by, by getting out of the block. Has that always been a priority? I mean, it's, it's going to be a priority for any runner. But is that mm-hmm. something you've always had to really work on, the exit out of the block? So during high school, I actually had not used blocks. I was uh, uh, one of the yeah. racers that Stan started. So my right. first year that I was going to use blocks was my senior year of high school with COVID canceling everything. I hadn't really gotten you know to use them. And then going into Bucknell was my first true year of using blocks and kind of learning uh, something different. Um, certainly with my disability, I've taken a little bit of a different route compared to some other athletes. Um, a lot of other athletes in the para scene who have, you know, some sort of arm disability, what they tend to do is they'll have uh, like a wooden block or something to extend themselves up. So like if, they're, if like their reach isn't as far down as they would need, they would substitute that reach with, per se, like a wooden block. Right. Um, for me, I took a different approach to this, and I've begun using a different design of blocks um, that allow me not to – it's more of a – I think it would be considered a two-point stance, um, more of like a standing start, but the blocks exist more so – to you know, stop me from dropping back. Um, you know, I've uh, you know really appreciated the work that Coach Alexander's helped me you know helped me do to get better in these blocks. And really moving forward, there's certainly some improvements I can make. And you know, I'm just excited about what I can do there. Is there all, almost like a formula in your own mind in terms of how to get out where the, there's a not only a comfort level but a potential explosiveness that you've almost had to do through trial and error. Mm-hmm. So one of the things when I first was starting uh, using these blocks that I remember Coach Alexander talking to me about was, you know, when I come out, you know, it looked like the wheels were hitting the ground with me running. It looked like the wheels were hitting, but the wheels weren't grabbing. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about a little bit more moving forward. Like when I come out, it's not just, you know, I have the explosion to come out, but I got to be putting the power into the ground to really make use of my start. Uh, whereas before I would come out and it was really just kind of weekly going through the motions. I would use the blocks, but it wasn't like I was getting that power going forward. And, you know, since, you know, that conversation, of course, moving forward and thinking about it more and more and how to improve that, I certainly think I've gotten a little bit better. At, you know, instead of having the wheels spin when it hit the ground, they really right. grab and, you know, I get going. You know, you've been in the course of your lifetime, you know, and let's just talk about Bucknell. I mean, you, you compete in the 200. But you've been in the relays and the 400. What is it about the 400 distance that's made for you as opposed to another distance? So I've really, truly loved the 400. Uh, I think it's a lot more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing, honestly, because for me, I just love that. You know, a lot of people call it one of the hardest events, and I would agree with that. It is certainly one of the hardest events. Um, So because it's a long sprint, the whole thing is a sprint. And Uh really, I've enjoyed, you know, in high school, I, you know, I dabbled a little bit in the 800, the 1500, you know, I did cross country as well. That slow burning distance of like energy, I just didn't completely, you know, I didn't work with it all the time. Like I, you know, I had to really work hard to get to where I was for distance. Whereas with the 400, it just felt natural. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of longer burning flame, but it's still bright the whole time is the way I think about it. How have the people in Jamestown reacted to this, knowing that they have somebody going to the Paralympics on August 27th? There's certainly a, you know, everyone's very surprised. You get the, uh, this doesn't happen very often. Not many, you know, this doesn't, you know, nobody really comes from this area and has, you know, this kind of success. 
and certainly the amount of support that I've gotten from, you know, hometown, not just Jamestown, but all of Western New York has been so overwhelming. And really just it's it feels great to be able to kind of showcase, you know, what for me was Section 6, you know, Western New York area, what we have for athletics and what we can, you know, what we can create. Certainly, you know, I've also had a lot of help from Bucknell. So now it's not just about, you know, what can Western New York create, but also what can Bucknell University make? Yeah, that was going to be the next part. The support you receive now from the Bucknell community, what has that meant to you every step of the way? So for me, like, it was first when I got to Bucknell, it was a lot of emotional support. And a lot of people didn't completely know that because that, you know, so I uh, experienced the passing of my grandmother. I'd lived with my mm. grandparents throughout my entire childhood. And my grandmother had passed away the day I moved into Bucknell. Yeah. That was certainly a hard thing to go through. But going to Bucknell and, you know, I, you know, when I visited prior in my senior year of high school, it felt like home. And then going there as a freshman, the people felt like family. And the people were just amazing, the staff, the students, the local community, everybody. So it was just, it felt great. So from an emotional stance, like I, that really helped healing a lot from that pain. And then from an athletic stance, like I have, you know, great coaches that have worked with me to make sure that I am able to kind of pursue these, you know, opportunities as they come. And certainly, you know, not being an able-bodied athlete, it does change a little bit how I work. You know, on the track, uh, Coach Alexander doesn't really have to alter my stuff all that much, but especially Coach RC has to kind of, she really has to, you know, reinvent how I'm spending my time in the weight room because, a lot of the stuff that the able-bodied athletes are doing, like that's just not, you know, completely possible for me. So between all the coaching and the communities of, you know, both areas and especially now at Bucknell, like I've just, you know, I've begun thriving a lot and I see myself, you know, growing past where I even am right now. I mean, I'm still pretty young in the, like in the scheme of, you know, Paralympics. So I hope that, you know, in the next coming years that this isn't just the beginning, but, you know, there's, you know, a lot higher heights to hit. Off that answer, I've got two questions. One is, how long did it take for you after you crossed the finish line in Minneapolis to think of your grandmother? So for me, I've begun not just not just finishing, but during during beginning the race. You know, I uh, I think of the promises I've made to not just my grandmother, but also everyone else. You know, around in my community, and so I begin my race thinking about you know those people who they gave me, you know, unthinkable amounts of support and how thankful I am for that and how this race and every other race that I got to compete in, like it's an example for them. It's, you know, it's showcase, not just for myself and my own abilities, but a showcase of what their effort and their, you know, their help has created. Um, after I finished it, it, it really felt like, you know, the sun opened up and, you know, my mom had, you know, helped me get through all of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like, the promises that I was making were slowly coming into, you know, coming into being completed. And I needed to, you know, certainly trials wasn't the end. And I certainly have now, especially since I've gotten closer into the, you know, United States paratrack and field scene, like I know there's higher heights I got to go to now, you know, my, you know, there's still goals ahead for my future career of, you know, in paratrack and field, you know, I want to be making national teams soon. I want to be trying to break records for T45, you know, obviously medal and, you know, obviously continuously do well at an international level. So there's, it's, it's a, it's a growing process of, you know, how can I keep representing and how can I keep honoring the support that everyone has given me, especially my grandmother. All right. So then the, the other question I had off your previous answer, 
would be about your teammates. You get mm-hmm. to Bucknell, not the easiest time for you to get there, as you talked about the passing of your grandmother. You talked about the support the coaching staff gave you. What about the support you received from your teammates, the encouragement you received from your teammates? What have they meant because as freshman, as a freshman, this was an all-new experience and all-new people to meet? Mm-hmm. So the team of Bucknell, I just, especially my sprints group, I just, I really love. They're great people. They're fun people. And, you know, they're hardworking athletes. Um, in high school, like I hadn't really had a full fledged group of people. You know, I had one or two, three guys, you know, a small group of guys that, you know, we all worked together. But going to Bucknell and, you know, being in a whole sprints group with, you know, a handful of guys who are all very, like, very talented and very good at what they do. And then, of course, you know, they each have their own amazing personality and, you know, each focuses differently and have different views on the sport of track and field. That was just, you know, a very great experience for me. Seeing, you know, not just, you know, being around other high-level athletes was just a big honor that, you know, that was a big goal of mine in high school. Like, you know, when I was looking for colleges, one of the big things I asked my coach was, I, you know, I cared a lot about my academics and I wanted to go Division One. And Bucknell was a perfect fit for that. You know, I've, it's great. I've had great academics there. I've been challenged academically. And certainly, you know, I got to that, I got to that division one level. So how much, you know, it's really great when you're around other athletes that can then push you. Mm-hmm. How much do your teammates push you? And do you feel like you're getting better times because of that? A hundred percent. So with the 400, you know, there's some guys that, I certainly, you know, there's certainly some standout guys that I think about of, you know, who do I want to be at practice each day? Because who is like what I see very good at different things. Um, certainly, you know, uh, graduating senior Alex Desoy, like he was kind of like, kind of like the mentor I had. Like, you know, I saw myself as kind of a younger him almost when I came in, and I wanted to definitely be, you know, up close and you know, trying to stay with him during practices and stay with him during races. That was certainly a big goal of mine, you know, another freshman, Matt Prello, and, you know, an upperclassman, Kevin Boyle, like they're, they're our short sprinters. They're fast. I want to be fast like them. I want to be able to have that speed. And, you know, other guys like Caleb and guys I, you know, work right with every day, you know, you know, they're just, I'm working with them. I'm working to try to be not just better for myself, but better for them because they're putting in hard work along with me. Like, that's what this is all about. It's not just about you know, I'm there to, you know, be every guy on the team, you know, I'm there to kind of grow with the team because we're all putting that hard work in. We're all trying to get better. And, you know, that's what matters the most. You've represented Falconer High School, mm-hmm. which, as I told you before we started, I've actually have been to. You have represented and continue to represent Bucknell. What does it mean now to you to represent the United States? I know when I got my Team USA, you know, jersey and the kit and the package of everything, that was just, that was phenomenal, honestly. For me, like, up until that mo- like point, like, everything along the process, you know, the decision date, finishing the trials race, all that just felt peaceful. But my firework moment was opening up the gear kit and seeing that Team USA jersey sitting right on top. Like, that was my moment where it just, everything felt like I was on top of the world because it's just, you know, that's the dream, you know, it's, this is truly Paralympics and, you know, this level that I'm at now, that's, it's truly the top of the mountain. And, you know, there is higher to go on the mountain, of course, but like that's, this is the highest level of competition. And it's just so baffling that I'm, you know, I have the opportunity to be able to compete at that level. 
Well, you not only have everybody in western New York rooting for you, you not only have everybody in the Valley rooting for you, you're now going to have everybody in the country rooting for you. Congratulations mm-hmm. on a great accomplishment to this point, and best of luck in reaching all the goals that you want, Raven. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.